Hello, this is your friendly neighborhood host, J.T. Wheatley, back again for another episode of the History of Comics podcast, this time with the life of Marie Severin, the merful first lady of comic books. As you may have noticed in covering the various biographies of comic book creators throughout this series, like most industries, comic books is mostly a male-dominated. However, there have been numerous women who have contributed to the medium, as my previous History of Female Creators in American Comic Book series highlighted. Among those mentions were Marie Severin, who quite frankly deserves an episode of her own, as she worked in comic books through the, from the post-Golden Age to near modern day, marking, making her mark on the companies from EC to Marvel to DC. Using her t- artistic talent combined with her trademark sense of humor, she would earn the name the Murphful Mistress of Comic Books, but most significantly, many called her the First Lady of Comic Books. Marie Severin was born on August 21, 1929 in East Rockaway, New York. Her brother, John, the subject of the previous John Severin episode, was seven years older, born in 1922. The family moved to Brooklyn, New York when Marie was four. Their parents, John Edward Severin and Margarita Powers Severin, encouraged their love of art, with their father being from Oslo, Norway and having served in World War I. He would later become a designer for Elizabeth Arden around 1930, doing labels, package design, and bottle ornamentation. Their mother, whom they called Peg, was a homemaker and hailed from an Irish family. Growing up, Marie Severin enjoyed re- reading to help her mind visualize and improve in her vocabulary. She would show artistic talent at an early age and even use this to help the nuns at her Catholic grammar school. Severin soon became known for her chalk drawings on the school boards and even the streets. She later went to Bishop McDowell High School, an all-girls school. However, Severin was a tomboy growing up and very outgoing despite having polio as a child. After graduating from high school in January of 1948, Marie Severin went straight to work at the Norfolk's Greeting Card Company and the New York Insurance Company, mostly doing clerical work. She did try the cartoonist and illustrated classes for a few months and even attended the Pratt Institute for one day, but that was the most formal tra- art training she ever received. Her father wanted Marie to go for the full four years, but she was ready to enter the workforce and travel, going everywhere from Mexico to Germany in the early 20s. She was particularly interested in Scandinavia as her father's family was from there and she wanted to examine her roots. While working, she lived in the same home she grew up in even after her father passed away. Meanwhile, her brother John had entered into the comic book world, and through him, was, uh, Marie Severin was about to do the same. Her brother, John Severin, was working at EC Comics at the time and got her her first job as a colorist. Marie Severin's first recorded work was A Moon, A Girl, A Romance, number 9, in October of 1949. She started working full-time at EC around 1951 and 1952 under Harvey Kirkman on his War Book line. Marie Severin quickly became known as for her accurate colors in war comics, which was done at the Chemical Color in Bridgeport, Connecticut, with her doing the coloring after getting the silver prints back. Sometimes when things ran late, Severin was forced to use copies from the Photostat machine, which she hated, but when it was replaced with the Xerox copier, she must prefer that. Much of this was from Kurtzman, who was notorious for his accuracy in his war comics, thus Severin would have to go to the local armory with a camera to see what colors were accurate for the vehicles and equipment that was depicted. Soon, Severin was coding all of EC's books, contributing to their exceptional art at the time, which was a large part of why they sold better than most of their comic books on the stands. This was especially the case with their covers, which instantly grabbed the reader's eye. This was a no smart part to Marie Severin's coloring, along with the pencils being done by such brilliant artists as Jack Davis and Wally Wood. Severin felt colors should set the mood of the stories and liked using watercolors for her job, using Doc Martin's uh, synchromatic dyes. 
She also felt that you shouldn't use colors to hide things, especially with EC, like EC Comics. Severin would joke that part of the reason readers did buy EC books was for the gore. Al Feldstein would counter this, though, pointing out at the time that Marie Severin was a young, very moral Catholic girl who would object to some scenes, and even stated she had colored an entire panel blue to hide the gore. Severin disputed this story, though she did admit to coloring some of the books to hide offensive bits concerning that the parents might not like it. Severin also never colored the book until the story was finished, wanting to keep the colors uniform throughout. Marie Severin would even work on early mag comics with uh, Harvey Kurtzman as well before it was turned into a black and white magazine. She was noted, she also noted she was never censored at the company, though Al Feldstein would work her until she dropped. Overall, Marie Severin loved her time at EC Comics and the people she worked with. She called the owner Bill Gaines one of the nicest people she had ever met. Plus, she stated that she wasn't treated any differently than anyone else despite being one of the few women working there. However, when EC Comics collapsed, there was only one book left, which was the black and white uh, Mad Magazine, which obviously she couldn't, didn't need a colorist. Much of this was due to Frederick Warburton in his 1954 book, The Seduction of the Innocent, which blamed comics for juvenile crime. The backlash resulted from, uh, from it led to a contraction in the industry, and Severin personally loathed Warburton for this and claimed that he was just doing it to get a job. EC Comics would attempt to, to weather this transition under their new direction line, which featured books like Valor and Piracy, which Severin colored, but they only lasted for a few issues. She would later be contracted to help recolorize me in the EC Comics decades later, though, when Ross Cochran started to publish them in collections in 2003, which won Eisner and Harvey Awards. Cochran would later auction off several color guides. After leaving EC Comics from around 1953-54, Marie Severin went to work for Timely Comics, the future Marvel. Working at Timely, Marie Severin would claim that no one treated her any differently there as well, despite being one of the few women also there. At Timely, Severin earned reputations doing caricatures of her work co-workers, and she soon moved into illustrations for, for Timely and Banouf in 1955, but she would be laid off in 1957 when the company nearly went under. To make ends meet after leaving Timely, Marie Severin went to work at the Federal Reserve and Film Facts Productions. At the Reserve, she designed The Story of Checks, a comic book designed to explain the new coding at the bottom of checks, i.e. the checking and routing number. The ABA routing number was designed to eliminate what was called the float, where money would exist on the East Coast even though a check was written from that bank account on the West Coast before it was paid out. This ensured that the check was processed in a timely manner, but many customers were a little skeptical of this new system. To rectify this, the Federal Reserve produced this educational comic that would be, have the largest print order for a comic in history going to all 11 federal banks and local ones as well, and by 1975 it would be in its sixth printing, with the last appearing in 2008. It was Marie Severin's work at the Federal Reserve that brought her to Film Facts Productions, which had been contracted to produce a film strip. Recognized Marie Severin's talent, they, hired, they immediately hired her away, where she did educational strips for Film Facts Productions with accurate mythology, but she had to tone it down as, as it went out to schools. Anyone who's ever studied uh, Greek mythology knows exactly why. While this work was productive, Severin was about to make a return to comic books and, as her old employer, Timely, was now revived as Marvel Comics and was changing the industry. In 1965, Marie Severin returned to Marvel to work in productions, eventually becoming the head colorist, a position she would hold in 1972. She would joke that the title meant nothing, not even a larger salary. However, a fateful assignment would finally move Severin from coloring the illustration when Esquire was requested art for an article on the college drug culture. Saul Broski, uh, Marvel's head of production, gave the job to Marie Severin as the rest of the regular artists were on deadlines. 
In the article, Marie Severn did illustrations like Super Students, Super Professors, and Draft Report. Her work for Esquire was so impressive that Marvel's owner, Martin Goodman, went to Stan Lee, Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, and asked, why is she in production? She can draw. And she quickly got the, her a job as a penciler. Despite her talent, Stanley was actually surprised she could draw, believing she was just a colorist. However, he soon learned that Marie Severn could, could pretty much do it all. Color, pencil, ink, and in all genres, from comedy to superheroes. Lee assigned Severn to take over Strange Tales, which starred Doctor Strange from Bill Everett, who himself was filling in when Steve Ditko left the Marvel Comics. Her first issue was issue number 153, and she would last issue number 160, co-creating the Living Tribunal in issue number 157 on June of 1967 with Stan Lee. She would later be credited as co-plotter on the series with Stan Lee and Roy Thomas, and greatly enjoyed drawing the weird world of Doctor Strange. Soon enough, Marie Severn was picking up more drawing assignments, mainly due to her ability to work fast, reportedly even faster than John Romita Sr. at the time. Pretty soon, she would hand over being head colorist to George Russos, as she was penciling so much, along with inking and lettering. Severn noted one thing about working as an artist with Stan Lee was writing, is that you had to leave room for his dialogue. She, she rarely argued with him, though, since he was editor-in-chief at Marvel, along with she would say that he was actually right most of the time. Severn would note that Lee was a joy to work with and learned a lot under him. Marie Severn was, no, was also well known for playing jokes in the office, such as attaching a toy revolver to the men's room key so they wouldn't lose it. This was also due to the fact that she was one of the only two women in the Marvel office at the time, so the bathroom privacy was vital. Severn also loved making fun of her fellow co-workers, notably Herb Trimpey and Joe Kane. For Trimpey, she drew a sketch of, a, of all the women in the Marvel offices that had a crush on him, something Trimpey said he was oblivious to. Kane was more of a target for his constant proclamations in the comic industry was about to collapse in a few years. He keeps getting that one wrong. One person Severin didn't make fun of, though, was Jack Kirby, who she greatly admired and even sided with him with his future disputes with Marvel. When Jack Kirby was departed, she marked it by pinning one of his trademark cigar stubs. Kirby was known for smoking while drawing and drawing a sketch of smoke coming out of it on the wall. Stanley would notice these sketches and realize her talent for humor, putting her in such books as Not Brand Eck. From 1968 to 1972, Severn did cover designs for Marvel, such as The Incredible Hulk, Not Brand Eck, and Doctor Strange. One notable cover was The Amazing Spider-Man number 82. She would also later work on Crazy, but it was turned down, well, it was turned down for the Muppets comic strip by Jim Henson, ironic since she would eventually do the Muppet Babies comic book years later. She also became known for fixing and improving other artists' work, such as telling John Romita Sr. to put cracks in the sidewalks and trash in the street in Daredevil number 12 and 13 so it looked more realistic. She also helped fix Jim Starnenko's uh, cover on Incredible Hulk Annual number 1. Marie Severin's next regular penciling assignment at Marvel was drawing The Incredible Hulk in Tales of Astonish number 92, which he, which he uh, shared with the Submariner, taking over from artist Joe Kane. She continued to issue number 101, which converted to The Incredible Hulk with issue number 102. Severin Art was noted for showing the physical transformation and agony when Bruce Banner transformed into the Hulk. She would later do breakdowns for Herb Trimpey, who originally inked her pencils with issue number 106 and the covers through 108 before handing it over fully to Trimpey, who would go on to have a legendary run on The Incredible Hulk. This was part of Stanley's standard modus operandi when he would transition from one penciler to another on a book, and he would have the next penciler ink the previous penciler's works for a smooth changeover. She, she did return for issue number 190 to ink over Trimpey's own pencils. Severin also 
was used by Marvel to provide art for numerous promotions and ads due to her speed. Among them were the numerous house ads as Spider-Man, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Hostess ads. It was Severin's art on the sleeve of the Voices of Marvel LP that was put out with the Mary Marvel Marching Society. She also provided work on Marvel Manny and Foom, providing art and caricatures. Marie Severin also helped Marvel book with people to young readers, such as The Chris Star, The Crystal Warrior, where David Altley Craft and Alan Cooperberg. Stanley would nickname Marie Severin Murphal, as he did with numerous other artists for her sense of humor, and thus was a natural choice when Marvel launched Brand Eck on August of 1967. The title was a reference to Stan Lee calling competitors to Marvel's not brand eh, mostly to DC Comics. The comic came about when uh, Maury Thomas and Gary Friedrich pitched the idea of a humor magazine like Mag that poked fun at the competition. Stan Lee liked the idea, but instead he, he wanted the magazine to poke fun at Marvel itself. Originally, the comic was launched as brand eh, but because Stan Lee had made the phrase not brand eh so popular, most readers just called it that instead. The comic got off to a great start. And it would often have the same artists who worked on Fantastic Four and Captain America, like Jack Kirby, doing the parodies of their own work to great effect. For her part, Marie Severin wrote Superman, Superhero Daydreams, along with doing most of the covers starting with issue number two. However, not Brent Ed was, only, was canceled after just 13 issues. Overall, Marie Severin was considered the funniest woman at Marvel and would later do spoof and arg for the company. Spoof parodied movies and TV shows like Dark Shadows, but only lasted for five issues. Arg was a general humor book that also lasted for just five issues. In 1968, Severin drew The Submariner number 9 through number 12 and started doing the cover issue number 13. This was last year to issue number 23. Marie Severin next worked on The Cat with Linda Fett as part of a launch by Marvel to attract more female readers, including titles like Sheena the She-Devil and The Night Nurse, but it only lasted for four issues, even though the fish issue was produced. The character was Greer Grant Nelson, the widow of a slain police officer who volunteers for an experiment that gives her superhuman abilities. The idea was originally proposed by Stan Lee while Marie Severin was contributing her own ideas to the cat's look, adding, adding such things to her costume as a sash. She would also color the first two issues of the series as well, after which she left with Patty Greer and Bill Everett taking over the art chores. The series would only last issue number four, and the character has since morphed into Tiger that we know today. Marie Severin would next get to work with her brother John on Cole the Conqueror, a spin-off to Conan the Barbarian in 1971, with Marie Severin doing 90% of the design. Cole was actually the first barbarian created by Robert E. Howard, who also created Conan, first appearing in the, sto- the, sh- the story The Shadow Kingdom, which first appeared in the Weird Tales pulp magazine in 1929. Cole was a barbarian from Atlantis who conquered the kingdom of Elusia, and on his adventures he was often accompanied by a pick named Brule the Spear Slayer. Maria Severance provided the pencils for the series while her brother John inked. She remained in the series to issue number 10, and during her run, she, she, the character Tulsa Doom made his first comic book appearance. Their brother-sister duo quickly became associated with Cole and later produced Portfolio Plates in 1973 and 77, along with appearing in a 7-Eleven Slurpee Cup in 1975. Marie Severin would then actually go on to work on Conan himself, inking John Basuma's pencils in Conan number 25. Throughout her run at Marvel, she would work on Spider-Man, Iron Man, and The Wizard of Oz, a rare Marvel-DC collaboration in 1975, providing biographies of several, several of the main characters. She, would also, along with, she also continued to design many of Marvel's co- covers for Marvel's comics. Severin also said she did most of the cover design under Stan Lee, who allowed a creative freedom despite giving strong direction. However, once Lee left, Severin stopped doing the covers shortly after. 
She was even the fill-in art director for three days when John Romero Sr. left. However, new editor-in-chief Jim Shooter would ultimately end this position, and several reported hated working for Shooter, calling him the outsider who originally was a writer for D.C. Despite this, Severin was so good at coverage that she taught at John Bashima's uh, comic book artist workshop in 1976, along with other comic breaks like Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, and Gil Kane. She would also ink her own pencils. In 1972, she created the fanzines like Ragnarok and fans of Central New Jersey and the Comic Crusader. She also was a regular contributor to Marvel's various fan clubs like Marvel Mania and Foom, Friends of Old Marvel. Not only for Foom, she contributed a brilliant cover for issue number 16 that depicted the Marvel's bullpen in a trademark character form. Severin also worked on Crazy, which was mostly just reprints from Not Brand Ant, but it only lasted for three issues. However, it later be relaunched as a black and white magazine on October of 1973, and that would go on for 94 issues in 10 years. On November of 1973, Marie Severin also illustrated the cover of the feminist magazine Miss. Severin would become a regular convention goer throughout all this, and in 1974, she participated on the panel of the role of women in comics at the 1974 Comic Art Convention in New York, appearing alongside Flo Steinberg, Linda Fett, Jean Thomas, and Irene Vertanoff. That same year, Severin was also awarded the Best Penciler Human Division Shazam Award and would later be nominated for Best Inker and Best Colorist the following year. In 1978, she appeared in the Women in Comics panel where she also did commissions. In 1975, she later did the Big, she did the big Apple comics under Floyd Steinberg with the story The Man Without a City. It was a one-shot, adult-only comic, black and white, that was also featured the work by Neil Adams, Wally Wood, and Herb Trimpey. In 1976, Marie Severin co-created Spider-Woman writer Archie Goodwin, who first appeared in Marvel Spotlight No. 32 on February of 1977. This came about from a suggestion by Stan Lee when he realized that Marvel didn't own the name Spider-Woman, thus anyone could claim it. Stan Lee knew this personally as Marvel had created Wonder Man, which DC Comics threatened to sue over for infringing on their own character Wonder Woman. Stan Lee agreed to cease publication of the character, but then DC went and created Power Girl, which could be argued was a, his name was a takeoff of Marvel's Power Man, who we know as Luke Cage today. Sure enough, Wonder Man has since reappeared in Marvel, but Lee wanted to make sure that no one could do that to Spider-Man. Thus, the character was Goodwin and uh, Severin created was Jessica Drew, who was originally conceived as a spider that actually evolved into a woman until writer Marv Wolfman later explained that she got her powers from, Hydra, from a Hydra experiment with the memories of a, being a spider being implanted in her mind. She has since become a regular fixture in Marvel Comics, joining the Avengers, and even getting her own cartoon series, 1979, voiced by Joanne Van Ark. Marie Severin would also do many licensed comics for Marvel as well, such as working at their Star Comics for Marvel, their kids' imprint, which included Muppet Babies, Fraggle Rot, and Star Wars, along with numerous other licensed property. In 1977, she did Pizzazz, which is Marvel's answer to Scholastic Press's Dynamite, focusing on pop culture, television, and movies. That same year, she co-created the villain Dr. Bong with writer Steve Gerber and Howard the Duck No. 15 on August of 1977. He was designed as a parody of Dr. Moreau from the H.G. Wells story, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and would become Howard the Duck's arch-nemesis, noted for a bell-shaped helmet that created a different effect every time it struck. Severin also used characters for her comics and sketch cards for the Marvel Silver Age 1998 and Marvel Legends 2001. She also provided art for Marvel's line of Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk toilet paper. In 1988, Marvel launched What The, another self-parodying comic in the same vein as Not Brand E, which lasted for 26 issues, with Marie Severin doing six. 
That same year, she would win the Inkpot Award at the San Diego Comic-Con. Maurice Everett also helped design the look for the X-Men for the, the cartoon in the 1990s and helped color Marvel's UK Captain Britain series. She would briefly return to Doctor Strange as well with Doctor Strange Sources of Supreme in 1995. In 1996, Marie Severin went to D.C., despite once deriding Jim Snow for once working there, coloring Superman Adventures, which was based on the Superman the Animated Series, for 66 issues over the next six years. While there, she also worked on D.C.'s Factoid imprint, which did the Big Book of, a series of illustrated books for older readers covering true stories around a central theme. For example, the Big Book of Bad covered topics like McCarthyism to Mike Tyson, in which Marie Severin contributed the story Practice, Practice, Practice. She also illustrated The Big Book of Losers, The Big Book of Scandal, and The Big Book of the Weird Weird Wild West. With such a a long and distinguished career, it was not surprising when, in 2001, Marie Severin was inducted to the Will Eisner Hall of Fame alongside Del Mesnick, the creator of the Brenda Star comic strip. They would be the first two women to do so. However, unlike other Hall of Famers in their respective careers, Severin wasn't done working. In 2002, DC published 9-11, the world's finest comic book writers and artists tell stories to remember, a 228-page book meant to raise money for heroes and victims of the 9-11 terrorist attack in 2001, which also included creators like Neil Adams, Will Eisner, and Sergio Agones. In it, Severin illustrated The Sleeping Giant, a four-page piece written by Stan Lee. That same year, Severin uh, did Black Batman, Black and White Number no. 2, with writer Ty Templeton, with the story Batman, Swarming Scourge of the Underworld. According to DC editor Mark Chiriello, this came about when he heard that Severin was no longer exclusive with Marvel after 30 years, so he jumped at the chance to get her to, to DC. During this same period, Severin also did art for Claypool Comics, penciling and inking Soul Searchers and Company, number 43 in July of 2000, and Elviver, number 144, on April of 2005, working with Jim Mooney, Dave Cochran, and Richard Howell. In 2003, Severin contributed to Dignifying Science by Jim Octaviani and published a story by GT Labs, which told stories about famous female scientists. Marie Severin drew the story of Mary Curry, which served as both a prologue and epilogue to the book. In 2006, Marie Severin appeared at the Paradise Comics Toronto Comic Con and the Women in Comics Symposium. That same year, her art was uh, exhibited at the Museum of Comic Art from July to November in display, She Draws Comics too. On October 11, 2007, Marie Severin suffered a stroke, though she would later recover. In 2017, Marie Severin was honored by the Comics Alliance as one of the 12 female cartoons deserving of lifetime recognition receiving the Comic-Con's International Icon Award. Sadly, Marie Severin would die on August 30, 2018, in Massaquica, Long Island, New York. Though she never married and had no children, she left behind a le- legacy of art and humor that is unrivaled and constantly being rediscovered today. In 2019, Marie Severin was post-ominously inducted into the Harvey Awards Hall of Fame alongside her brother John Severin and fellow MAG contributors Will Elder, Jack Davis, and Ben Oda. She also received the Inkwell Awards Stacey Aragon Special Recognition Award for Lifetime Work in Inking. With a career going from EC to Marvel to DC, Marie Severin was a -a one-of-a-kind artist using her talent and humor in ways few could ever hope to achieve. While Stan Lee's nickname for her, the Murphal Mistress of Comics, was appropriate, I find her other one far better. Marie Severin was truly the first lady of comic books. I would like to thank the Chief Sorceress episode, Marie Severin, The Murphal Mystery of Comics by Dewey Castle and Aaron Sultan, which features numerous great interviews with not only Severin, but her friends and co-workers. A must-read for any comic book fan.
My name is Mark McCray, and I'm the author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. I'm Dan Klink, co-host of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives features programming trends from the 1966 television season all the way through the last hurrah of the early digital age of the 1990s. On the show, if it's animated, we talk about it. Order your signed copy today at tbsool.com. And listen to the podcast at esonetwork.com and all podcast platforms. Now it is June 24th, 2021. Time for the favorite comic of the week. Batman Reptilian, number one, by Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp, which is a new uh, black label uh, book from D.C. that finds uh, Batman dealing with uh, mysterious murderers going around killing his uh, old villains, all while dealing with calls of people saying that he's gone too far in his own methods and maybe he's the one doing these murders to begin with. Garfans does a great job with this uh, Black Label series, and obviously this is the kind of thing he's really good at, being able to operate outside the uh, typical uh, censors of DC's uh, mainstream book to really explore the Batman character. And, and if, if he really does go too far, it opening a confrontation with a criminal who gets let out of a, the, by the judge on the technicality is a great example. And it's matched great by Liam Sharp's very gritty and atmospheric artwork, who also provides a very beautiful tribute to the late, great Steve Dillon, who was supposed to have been the uh, penciler on this series, but sadly passed away before he could do it. And Liam Sharp has an opening introduction talking about how he felt like he had to imitate Dillon's style until he realized, no, Dillon himself would want him to do it his own way. So, yeah, very beautiful book. A very a nice uh, new Batman book by Garth Ennis so forth. So, yeah, definitely worth picking up. And with that, that is the uh, biography of Marie Severin, the Murphil First Lady of Comic Books. Join me again next week when I'm going to begin a uh, three-parter on the battle for Marvel Comic Books, uh, how a bunch of financial wizards in the 1990s tried to take over the, the House of Ideas and the lone survivor who ended up with the ownership of it. Till the end, go out and enjoy yourself. Good comic book.